I'd like to read for you a very sad story, with a sad ending at least. One with a very good beginning. A lot of us have had good beginnings that might turn out to have bad endings if, if we follow the pattern this story follows. This is about a man named Abraham and his nephew Lot. Abraham had answered the call of God and had come from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan. Had been on a stay in Egypt, was back in Canaan, and God had blessed him. He had many flocks. He had a lot of gold. He had much silver. He had God's blessing on his life on top of that. His nephew had much substance also. In fact, their flocks increased so much that the grazing land was scarce. It wasn't enough for all of them in that location. So here's where the reading begins. The 13th chapter of Genesis, beginning with verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. I'd like for my text to be understood to be, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. That was east of Canaan. But that was not like going from Portland to Gresham. It was not like taking a, a trip out to Mount Hood or across the mountains to eastern Oregon. You go out there, you don't find very much. In fact, you find fewer people. You find less things to do out that way than you do in this metropolitan area. So there's no comparison between leaving Canaan land and going east from here. And what happened here when Lot journeyed east because he chose the well-watered plain of Jordan? There's nothing wrong with choosing good grazing land for cattle. In fact, they must have it to live. But this story is not about cattle. It was only mentioned incidentally. They were rich men, both of them now. When the story starts, they already had it. So it's not a story of how to get rich or how to increase your goods. It's not a story that teaches you how to be shrewd and wise in business. 
even though Lot made what he thought was a shrewd choice, a wise choice, why his uncle had even given him the chance to make your choice first. It doesn't make any difference, young man. After all, I'm, I'm your uncle, and I've got it made. What have I got to worry about? That's not what he really meant. He just meant he didn't want to choose first. After all, it, it didn't really matter. It didn't matter to him at all. He didn't have in mind what Lot had in mind. He hadn't come here for the purpose that Lot had come here. Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan, lived in the plain cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, to understand anything about these words, we'd have to know something of what he's talking about. Pitching a tent. Pitching your tent toward Sodom. This means moving closer and moving closer and moving closer to a place called Sodom. What's so bad about Sodom? After all, what's so bad about Sodom? The story goes on. Read these two chapters. Here are the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th chapter up through the 19th chapter of Genesis. And see for yourself what the story is. Sodom was an exceedingly wicked city. It was among the worst. And these well-watered plains went right on down to where Sodom was then. Sodom is no more. The location of Sodom is debatable. But nevertheless, it was a place that day, and it was a city that day that ran wild with licentiousness, immorality, and sin of every kind. And Lot, voluntarily, with a free will, just inched closer and closer and closer to Sodom, pitched his tent toward Sodom. He lived in this city and that city, in the uh, city to the plains. There is where he dwelt. Abraham dwelt in the higher lands, the place called Canaan, where God had called him. During the time of Abraham's sojourn here, you can read how God blessed him. I'll read a little of it for you, the 17th chapter. When Abraham was 90 years old and one, 91 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Now, this is while Lot was down inching towards Sodom, remember? Abraham, 91 years old, said, Lord said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God was speaking to Abraham and demanding of him a close walk, a careful walk, a holy walk. But this was no imposition on Abraham. This was the very love of Abraham. He loved God and served God. And for God to expect him to live circumspectly and holy and to live perfect before him, that was no charge to keep, nothing to worry about him, nor weight him down. This was a natural thing for Abraham to feel that God had a right to say to him. Verse 2 says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. 
And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. For an everlasting covenant shall be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. What heavenly language coming from God to a mortal man named Abraham. Oh, how blessed it was to live in an experience like this. To live in tune with God where he could hear the voice of God, feel the blessing of God, know he was doing what God would desire him to do. His nephew pitching his tent toward Sodom, down the east country there toward that wicked city. The time came when Lot was taken prisoner. The kings came out there and captured Lot and his family and everything he had and took him away. Abraham, hearing of that, raised the men out of his own family from his own household and took from his own company there and took them and went out against these kings who had, who had taken his nephew captive and brought him back, rescued him and brought him back with everything that he had and, and gave him his liberty again. But that didn't really cure this young man Lot. He was taken captive and it, it should have awakened him to his sense for he would have realized that if I have to wait for my uncle to come and get me like this, maybe I ought to live closer to where he lives. But he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And later on we read of a time when Abraham sat in the gate of Sodom. Sat in the gate. Now this must mean he was one of the men around the town. He may have had a responsible position here. Who knows? Anyway, and he came, when he sat there, here came two angels. Angels from God came down there to Lot's place and Lot beckoned them to come inside and inside Lot's house. He was showing them hospitality and these vile, sensual, devilish men in Sodom came there with the most uh, lustful and, and obnoxious intentions to come there to desecrate the very angels coming from glory to do the vilest of, of their intentions and to bring it to pass right then. Lot had all he could handle. These angels, seeing that these blasphemous men with their evil intentions of such a carnal and lowly and beastly thing they were about to do, the angel of God smote them in with blindness and the whole multitude of them outside the door all of a sudden were struck blind. These men outside, before they were so blinded, they said to, to Lot, he was trying to stave them off and hold them at a distance, not to, to force their way in and to do this awful thing. And they said to Lot, why you, talking to us like this, you're only a man that sojourns down here. And you would make yourself a judge. Why, you're just a fellow who came from over there across the river. And here you are down here trying to tell us what to do. Even those men of Sodom that he reached out for and camped near to and moved closer and closer when it came right down to the issue, they didn't like him. They detested the thought of a man who came from a place called Canaan. A man with an uncle like Abraham. A man with an advantage like he had had. Here he was down there in the lowly lowlands of a place called Sodom. Even the Sodomites detested the looks of him and the very thought of what he would try to do. Come out here and protect somebody. You, coming from a place you came from, knowing what you know. And you, you a sojourner in our land, take it on yourself to teach us. 
or to judge us. That's the way it is in the world, too. Now, I know you aren't going to live in tent tonight. You aren't going to move your tent tomorrow. You aren't living near to a place called Sodom. And I told you that Sodom was not like Gresham, Oregon, out east of us here. No, no, no. So, physically, and detail by detail, this doesn't pertain to us and our physical setting tonight, but it does in a spiritual sense because there are people that come into gospel meetings like this that have the choice to make whether they will do what Abraham did or do like Lot did. Will they take the upward way or the low road? Will they tent toward the highlands or will they slip and slide or even on purpose move and move toward the lowlands, toward that lowland of sin, uh, typical of which, uh, which Sodom is certainly typical. Many people deliberately go away from what they know they ought to do what their uncles or their fathers or their mothers would try to get them to do, and every encouragement, every inducement for right and for righteousness, they'll say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to move. And I'm going to move further and further. I'll do my thing, and I'll do it. And these days, they begin very, very early. You heard somebody two or three tonight testify about discipline in their homes. And they tell you to the man that it paid off. We believe that as a church. We have a tract called Begin, Begin Discipline Early. It's based upon the Bible. God has law and God has order, and God expects that in families and in communities, in churches, in our nation. God expects us to be subject to, to something, subject to God in the, in, the last, in the first and last instance, and subject to those that have the authority over us otherwise. And when we don't do it, if you as a child... Don't subject yourself to your mother's and father's discipline. You are doing exactly what Lot did, and you're just moving further and further and further away from what you ought to be, what you should be, and you may come to the place where the very friends whose friendship you cultivate now may laugh in your face and say, Ah, oh, you with your religious background and Bible that you know, and you don't even fit down here. You aren't even really one of us. You're just a transplant. You'll hear this. You'll hear this. It'll come. After all, you are not uh, fit for the world after you have known the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are a marked man or woman. And you'll never be the same after knowing that there's power in the gospel to change your life and to make you like faithful Abraham who can believe God and have it imputed unto you for righteousness. You can believe God if you tent toward the highlands and let the Lord lead you, let Him speak to you. But if you turn your back upon God and go the wrong way, you may be like Lot was. Story goes on. God said, I cannot stand this any longer. He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah from off the earth. And he told, uh, through this, told Abraham about this. So Abraham began to pray. He knew that his nephew was down there. And he knew it was, it was a terrible place to be. After all, he didn't live down there and he wasn't inclined to go that way by any means. And so when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham began to pray and said, God, could it be as bad as you think it is? Could that city be that wicked? Are they absolutely given over? Is there nothing right down there at all? If, if there are 50 people in the whole metropolitan area there, if there's 50 people there that are righteous, would you spare the city? God said, all right, yes, for your sake. If there's 50 there, I, I'll spare it. And then he just troubled Abraham. He thought, what if there isn't 50 there? And he came on down to 40 to 30 and 20, even 10. And God kept saying, yes, all right, if, if there's 
ten people. If there's ten righteous people there, then I'll spare the city. I won't destroy it. But lo and behold, there were not ten people there. That was a vile, unclean, terrifyingly wicked city. Not ten righteous people there at all. No wonder the heinous sin, sex perversion, is referred to as sodomy, even named after, a, after the place called, called Sodom. Terrifyingly wicked, uh, debased to the worst the city was. And so God did send fire and brimstone to destroy it. But before the fire fell, he told Lot to arise and get out of that city. Get up and get out. Take your family with you. Judgment's going to fall. It's time to move on. God was being merciful this one long last time for Lot and for his family. And he said, get up and get out of here. Judgment's coming. The fire's going to fall. And Lot told his sons-in-law what he had learned. And his sons-in-law by now would laugh in his face. They'd been there with him. They'd been around the town. Married his daughters. So even the respect of his family was all gone. You lose a lot when you go away from God. You lose a lot when you violate God's law. With whatever judgment you judge, you'll be judged all right. And as you do, and the measure you put on people, and even the, the load you cause people to bear, may be only a little sample of what you'll have to bear when your time comes. The Bible says, Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So you better honor your father and mother or you'll find a terrifying judgment awaiting you. Maybe not tonight. Might not be tomorrow. You might be smart aleck and carry it on for a while. But a time will come. Maybe the next generation. If the next generation goes as bad as we've seen this one go, as far as the morals and attitudes are concerned, and I'm talking about the one in general, not Christian boys and girls who fear the Lord and do obey their parents, honor each other and honor God. But I'm talking about the, the baser and the, the people who are going for the sensual, devilish things of the world. If, if it goes as much next generation as it has last, how will it be with your children, young people? By the time you're grown and have a family, how's it going to be? What's going to be happening then? Judgment will be worse than it is now, and many people even now can literally feel that they're reaping judgment because their children are rebelling, and they know they did too. But in a greater measure, you see it now. So be sure that the Lord himself wants us to pay heed to our privileges and not to slip and slide or move on purpose into the very jaws of perdition, but to find our bearings and, and do what God wants us to do right now. The Lord is calling even tonight to young people, older people, maybe some who missed their way for quite a while. You may have said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Is that so? After you've done it, are you satisfied in that? When you look at what you see these days, how ridiculous things look. It's a free country. You can wear what you want to, look like you want to, and do what you want to. As far as that's concerned, there's no laws to stop you, evidently. And people are taking the liberty to go ahead and do so. But take all that liberty that you want. It's, it's yours to take. But for every action, there is a reaction. For every move you make, there's a reaction that you'll have to face up to. For every seed you sow, you'll reap a harvest. For every word spoken in secret in your own closet will be proclaimed from the housetop, the Bible says. It isn't going to always be this way. There's going to be a day come when we'll stand in judgment before God to give an account for every deed done in the body. 
then how will it be? Are you going toward the world, throwing away your chance? In God's mercy, he loves you, and your parents love you, your families love you, your the people in the church love you. We'll do anything in the world to help you and to pray with you and pray for you. Are you going to throw that to the wind and then stand one day when you can't feel the Spirit of God dealing with you? What Brother Willard said tonight about feeling he had gone beyond the place where God would deal with him, that's a reality. In my younger days, before I was even 19 years old, I had a fear that I might sin so much or go so far or at least wait too long until the Spirit of God would no longer call me. And I'm sure that's a fact that it does happen to more people than one and sometimes young people. It has to be that way. For how else would they do what they do? Why would they act like they act? Defying all the, all the principles that God would put in their heart and just going recklessly onward, onward, onward. God isn't dealing with them. They're on their own. They're just turned loose. And, and they're just demon-possessed, seemingly. Just doing their own thing, not their thing. They don't want to do that. They're just bound by the powers of hell. It has hold of them, and they can help themselves. Lot was driven the wrong direction. Well, I know in the New Testament it refers to Lot being uh, righteous, but he was vexed with the wickedness and the filthiness of Sodom and only escaped barely. And fire and brimstone was going to fall. God told him to leave the city and even told them not to look back. Get up and flee. Run. And then had to send a, an angel there to get him and literally take him by the hand and lead him out of the city. And in, even in those circumstances, his wife just couldn't stand to leave dear old Sodom, a place where she'd been, where she was known, where people were that knew her and all of this. So when they were on their way, being literally led from the city, she couldn't do what God said. So she turned around to look back and became a pillar of salt. That's what the Bible says. And that's what she became. All arguments notwithstanding, the Bible is true. And the best thing to do is take it literally what it says. And it certainly shows that judgment fell and quickly. The sons-in-law stayed behind. The daughters of, of a lot came with him. They became the, the mother of the Moabites and the Ammonites. The people who plagued the children of Israel the rest of the, uh, through the history of Israel. What an awful thing to begin at pitching your tent toward Sodom. Well-watered plains start out very easy. Well-watered plains, nice green grass. Cattle need that, and there it is. So, Uncle Abraham, you go ahead and take that. I'll take this green valley. Green valley didn't do it. The sins of Sodom, the power that got hold of them, the very enticement that pulled them that way soon controlled them. Those things that tempt you, lead you this way and that way. One step will take you two and down and down until it'll damn your soul. But tonight, God's giving you a chance to make a choice. Many of you are still young. All of you are still able to get around or you wouldn't be here. You have your faculties. You can reason. You can think it through. So why not do that? Why not tonight say, I've heard some witnesses tonight and I've heard them tell of how good it is to serve the Lord and how concerned God was about them and drew them to a place of prayer. And if you can feel the Spirit of God dealing with you tonight, why don't you respond also? If you don't feel the Spirit of God, why not come to pray anyway and say, Oh God, visit me with your Spirit. If you feel that you have no concern or compunction, why not uh, do what you ought to do anyway? And just say, God, give me a place of prayer. Help me to pray. And if you'll pray a simple prayer like that, perchance the Lord may have mercy and may send a spirit of prayer upon you. 
You may know how to pray if you'll just move toward God. But if you go on and on and down and down toward Sodom, if you pitch your tent toward Sodom and keep going that way, you'll soon be there. Everybody won't satisfy. That's not what you want. You want the highlands, the uphill way, the, the, better, the better life, the glory road, God's way, the right way. No condemnation, no, uh, no lack of peace. You have peace, joy, happiness, and a blessing, even if you're sick of bed. Oh, how, how you can thank God for the fact that, well, even I am so sick. And we've seen some people, even recently, that have been very, very sick. And some of them still are. I saw a brother just a couple of days ago, maybe it was yesterday, that he, he was so sick he could hardly even talk. But at least he had the praises of God on his lips. When he spoke, he, he said that. And I heard a sister this afternoon who was sick enough to think that her time might be about to come. What did she say? She said, well, if, if she went home tonight, what did that matter? I'm ready to go anyway. She just said that, and Brother Green was there with me and heard her say this. She said, for all these years, half a century or longer, she's been in the hands of God, and so she wants to keep on tending toward the highlands, not slipping off down toward the lowland, but looking on upward for the Lord and his soon coming. Oh, the Christian has a wonderful story to tell, and it can be your story. You can be a part of telling this wonderful story. You might think, me, could I? You may have tried and failed. You may have felt that, I guess I'm just a misfit, or I, I don't seem to, seem to have that in me that'll do it. You have if you let the Lord do his work in your life. It isn't the stamina and the courage, the manhood and the womanhood that we have that does this. It's a surrender to the Lord. Surrendering to the Lord, just giving up, believing the gospel, and Jesus Christ does a work for you and does a great work and a wonderful work. And we'll do it tonight. You can leave here saying, I've been transformed by the power of God. Will you? Will you come to pray? We'd like to have you come to pray. We have an altar bench across the front here, even down the end of these altars. Room here for many of us to come and gather around these altars and pray, and we invite you to come. If you feel like praying tonight, come to pray. Whatever you want from God, make your way out to these altars and pray, and the Lord will hear and answer prayer tonight. And there can be some people... Like Abraham, maybe give him a new name. His name will no longer be Abram, but Abram. New heart. You'll say, I need an introduction to myself. Everything will seem so different. It'll be a new life, a new beginning for you, won't you? We're going to stand and sing 191. You're invited to come to pray tonight.